0: can't believe it. It's like you created something out of nothing. How did you do it? I saw an opportunity and I took it. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, your Practical greases of Wisdom. And I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. So you know the drill if you've been listening. And if not, come on with me till the next part. As we get into guess what? a life skills training today on how to have an eye for opportunity. Oh, yes. I will see you on the flip. All right, y'all, let's get to it. I'm really excited. We're going to be doing a life skills training, a wisdom life skills training today on how to develop an eye for opportunity. All right. So off the bat, let's get into it because we're not going to be here today all day with this, but we're going to be better for it. First thing I want to let you know is opportunities are coded, just like heist from the other day. Opportunities are coded and it is for us to decode the opportunities that are hanging all around us, okay? So just just know this. And there are a few people who they don't really have to work at this and they can just see the stuff, but for the rest of us It's going to take some time. So some of the ingredients that you need for starting to develop your wisdom skill of seeing opportunity is that you're going to have to embrace concentration. And I will say that concentration is a muscle that must be built. You cannot outsource it. You cannot just claim it. Yeah, you can claim it, but you then have to work on building it, okay? Just like weight loss, can't nobody else do it for you but you. All right. So let's get into, uh, some of the things that you will use, uh, to be able to see opportunity. Okay. So I want to kind of channel one of my, uh, uh, I don't want to call him my favorite, but he is a fun fictitious character that I like, uh, for modern day and Rob, and his name is Robert Langdon from the Dan Brown series, uh, the symbologist. And I've, I'm not going to say he's as great as Sherlock Holmes, but when Robert Langdon came on the scene in a big way, because he had been in a few books before Da Vinci Code came out, but when he came out in Da Vinci Code, people kind of like had the same feeling that the folks had when Sherlock Holmes was introduced, because he looked at his world in a different way, whereas Sherlock Holmes was all about deduction and uh, deducing things, including behaviors based on what he saw, uh, Robert Langdon looked at his world by symbols and what the symbols, the, the the contents and the messages, the hidden messages of what the symbols were. So like I said before, we moved from the 19th century to the 20th century where Uh, Sherlock Holmes was looking at the symbols of what was uh, there that people missed on the everyday, you know, person. And then Robert Langdon was looking at what was there that the everyday person missed, but through code. And so to me, it was showing an evolution of how opportunity is presenting itself is getting more savvy, because we are getting more savvy. Thank thank goodness. All right. So there's this book uh, that I have um, mentioned on the on previous podcast called "How to Read Literature Like a Professor." And in the book, the professor talks about three things that he uses for doing this, and that is, he uses patterns. He uses memory. And he uses symbols. And I like that, how he broke it down. So I'm going to share it with you quickly. I encourage you to get the book. Uh, Don't forget, use our link. Use our link, you guys, Uh, and uh, go get the book. But one of the things that he talks about with patterns, memory, and symbol is this. uh, That when he looks at patterns, he looks for anything that's recurring in the context, I mean, in the literature itself. And it doesn't have to be on the nose exactly the same. But if a writer is putting something in that is repeating itself, recurring, uh, um, showing itself up in different ways, whether it be a concept of denial, you know, or a concept of shadows or or whatever it is, he looks for that. And I'm going to tell you again on this podcast, seek and you will find. That is that is one of our credos. Seek and you will find. So then with memory. Now, memory helps a lot with the other two. And what he talks about is having a database to pull from. And I'm going to tell you guys as well, when you start to develop an eye for opportunity, the larger your database of memories and information that you can pull from, the better you're going to be able to spot an opportunity. This, let's just face it, you have to have a wider and deeper database. That is why you want to get information in your specialty as well as in the generalities of things. Um, check out the podcast on um, a hedge fox that we did a little while back uh, where we talk about how in today's world, you are expected to go be able to go deep on a subject but you're also expected to be able to be a generalist on a lot of subjects where it used to be that you could just be a generalist or you could be a specialist. Oh no, you got to be both. That's why now instead of being a uh, specialist, which would be a hedgehog dig- digging deep and uh, being a generalist, which would be a fox scurrying uh, fast and wide and and, and cunningly. So you got to be a hedge fox. You got to be a bit of both of them. Okay. So With um, the way this book talks about memories, he is talking about going into his repository of other books and experiences to pull from to see, is there something in his database that reminds him of what's going on in this work? And then that's when he starts to talk about symbols. And in the book, he he kind of interchanges archetypes and symbols uh, to me. Because to me, archetypes are one thing and symbols are another. And you can, uh, archetypes are not necessarily symbols, but to me, symbols can be archetypes. I know that might sound confusing, but just bear with me. So with a symbol, a symbol is a, a code to represent something. So if you see a picture of a cat, I mean, well, excuse me, if you see C-A-T, that is code for a cat. All right. Likewise, if you see, uh, sometimes people just put, uh, nowadays when they're writing in um, emojis and symbols like that on the keyboard, they might put the two little upside down hats. You know, that's the one, if you do a shift, uh, on on the number six, they'll do like that. And then um, they'll do a little line and then another one. That means a cat. I didn't know that until I had to learn it, but it's new code. And so getting all of that information in there to be able to write in these symbols, you're having a deeper conversation based on a few little points and etchings so that you can um, Move forward and and do things. Um, There's this book I've been slowly working my way through. It is called The Code, and once I get through with it, I'll make mention of it. But I do want to say that going through it because he starts off with the history of code, and then he talks about what's the difference between a cipher and a um, a cryptogram and all of that, and then he starts to get into the good stuff of uh, how they were used, how they came about, and He even talks about how writing became uh, something of a code because to put things in writing, uh, uh, Sumerians and uh, um, all of these ancient civilizations that we know about, when it first started, it was for accounting purposes to take a census or to do math uh, for... uh, payment and those types of things so the records of how they kept up with stuff because they had oral tradition for story and all of that at the time but they they made these little tick marks and things that is why when you find a lot of the older texts they are always talking about how many people were in this kingdom and how many of this particular tribe or expression of race or whatever because that's how it started but it wasn't until uh, more campaigns were waged, and the necessity of communicating with people that were non allegorical story or chronolo- uh, chronologies of, of, of histories, that the need for uh, conveying these was instilled, and conveying them where not everybody would know what you were saying. you know, so even if you captured the messenger. And they found the clay tablet with all the ticks and marks on it. They might, not be, they might not know what that is. And that's how we started coming up with lettering systems. And this was the funny part that he brought out. He said at the time, the kings didn't even know. So you would have quote unquote scribes. And that's why when you think of a scribe, you think of a wise person. Because a scribe would have to take what was told to him or her and then condense it down into something that made sense, that kept the integrity of what was told to them, getting the facts, the tone of the message, the urgency or whatever, the energy of the message, and then translating it onto these tablets. So these scribes were the original coders that we think of today. So when you think of people who are coding They were people who, back in these days, knew how to write and read. And so when you would send these messengers, uh, they would deliver the information. And uh, if, if they were the scribe or the scribe was with them, you would easily have scribes putting messages to other scribes in the document so that you might have like, okay, so the king says that he can send this many troops if you send this much money, but he can only do it next fall um, because they have to wait to harvest. And then the next line might be, and I hope you, this message finds you well and that your, your, your wife and daughter are doing well. Do you guys plan to come over? Blah, blah, blah. So they would have like interactions like that because... They were the only ones that knew what this stuff was. And so they would send it to each other. And um, on the one hand, it would look like something to everyone else. But then the words on there held a different meaning. And there was opportunity for them to have conversation. And only that other person who knew how to read that message would see what the quote-unquote Message was to them or somebody else. Okay, so I hope you're starting to understand that having an eye for opportunity is when you need to have something out of necessity. It came not out of trying to be uh, sneaky, conniving, or whatever, but it was a natural progression of how to do more uh, efficiently and effectively, and also how to make good use of an opportunity. So this scribe has a friend over in the next city. Maybe they were trained together by the same person teaching them both to scribe. Opportunity arises where the king needs to send the other king a message. So they take the opportunity and they fit in their little um, message to each other in between. So that was a good use of opportunity. So yes, code, coding and, and things like that, understanding those were also opportunities. And then let's talk about layers. People seem to forget that layering is one of the go-to ways to figure out an opportunity. And when I talk about layering, meaning, figure out how many different layers that whatever you receive is uh, is made of. So for instance, if you want to uh, start practicing, you should, by the way, take something simple. Like Uh, consider a paper towel, all right? So a paper towel and you start trying to break down the different layers. And what I'm saying, break down the different layers, if your mind thinks of what is it made of and you're trying to break it down that way, that's fine. Just start practicing. Or if you are a more meta thinker, and you want to or your mind starts to see what the paper towel represents and you're breaking it down into that layer, it's fine. Just start practicing because as you start breaking down the layers and the meanings and maybe even the components, you're going to start to see space that is not being used, that you can make use of, all right? And so with Robert Langdon from... um Da Vinci Code, being a symbologist, one of the things that he taught us was that everything you see is icing and that the truth lies below. And when I started considering that, I got really excited because, of course, yes, Sherlock Holmes, great... Guy to be able to observe and deduce, and he would study all of the different movements, and um, he would supposedly be able to tell you what you were doing based on what you did. And just a side note, shout out to... um uh to uh hypnosis and um even mesmer back in the day even though you know it was wrong with Benjamin Franklin and them did to him setting him up that way if you don't know what I'm talking about go google it we don't have time to go off in that bunny trail but um shout out to uh, the people uh who who came up with uh intense observation to be able to see the little micro movements of what people did that would give them another layer of understanding, because we were able to take that and build on it. Now, another thing about opportunity is that there are some people who exploit it, and there are some people who expand it. And I'm going to say that neither is bad. I'm just going to say whatever the end results, let that be your litmus test. But there is a way to identify opportunity and then benefit from it. And it's not bad. So we're going to move into that area uh, now. So when you're trying to identify opportunity and make use of it, the first thing I'm going to say is this. No the direction of the flow. And when I say direction of flow, if you want to start with where is the action? Where is the energy of something? How is it flowing or or what is it going toward or coming from? Just by even positioning yourself to look that way, you're going to learn a lot. Let me give you an example. Okay, I have a treadmill. All right? It's a static piece of equipment and it is here to help me exercise my body and uh keep keep me in uh hopefully good health, right? So if I am looking at the flow of my exercise equipment here, now y'all bear with me. If I'm looking at the flow of my exercise equipment, what I'm going to be looking at is is this going to be something that I'm going to um continually use is it, is it going to give me everything that I need or is it a gateway to something and for the most part people use treadmills as a gateway to something I do I use treadmills for my cardiovascular health and to help me in my uh, anaerobic health weightlifting and those things to keep tone um, and just by pausing, to look at that. And um, trust me, this is just a first layer. I could go down and down and down and I could even end up to where a treadmill is, uh, it should be a gateway because it's a misuse if I only use it because of its circular f- function and never getting me to another place. And then I can bring in the hedonistic treadmill and then I can bring in uh, so many different uh, things. I can even bring in the idea of the, the wheel of life, the wheel of fortune, uh, the world and all of those types of things and so many different meanings and symbols and all of that so that I could be able to start to understand the flow of something. This is how a lot of people are able to construct and deconstruct things. Now, learning the flow of something takes time. Let me give you another instance. Uh, I'm going to have to give a shout out to to, uh, Netflix. They have a uh, series uh, that uh, it, it highlights. It's called Broken is the name of the series. And it highlights four different industries. And in one of the industries, I was not familiar. The others, you know, I had a little more knowledge, but this one, I just didn't. I knew of it, but not anything about it. And that was the vaping, V-A-P-I-N-G, vaping industry, the movement away from uh, cigarettes to now the vaping mist. And right there, you can see a flow. You can see where We moved from a paper uh, tube with a a rudimentary, I guess, way of intake of nicotine. Okay, so we moved from that to an electronic cigarette. So, like I said, right there, we went from manual uh, to technical. So there's a flow there. So, but then we moved, not we, but that industry moved from electronic. To now, uh, software or user user interface friendly. Uh, think of when you had human computers. Then they moved to the IBM big computers with punch cards, but you still had to know code Fortran, Cobol, and and C C plus plus and all of that. And then they moved to the PC, where now you have a user interface where the average person doesn't have to know the programming language in order to use a computer. So we moved from a human to an, a, a piece of a, a electronics to now where you had to use the interface. To me, when I saw that, because that's in my database and I'm watching this this series called Broken, that's the pattern, that's the flow I saw. Uh, Because where they ended at this particular time is by uh, dealing with a company named Jewel, J U U L. And this company took what the uh, e cigarette community had done and then they turned it into a better PC or a um, not even a better PC. They turned it into um, a better piece of. software that, that works well with the body. And um, they talked about how they re-engineered the, the shape of it and um, all the things they did to make it very human attractive, meaning it could fit in the palm of your hand. And instead of looking like an e-cigarette, it looked like a cool piece of tech. like a, a It looked like A a hard drive, a a, a portable hard drive. Uh, The kids that they interviewed because it's been having a problem of appealing to a lot of youth. The kids were like, you could hide it in your sleeve, you could hide it in if you're female in your um in your bra. It's very you know stealthy and um able to be hidden, and so it hit a lot of the different points that people love in um. And the fact that it offered a lot of opportunities to get away <laughs> with um, seeing it, and they had, the, they even had their own little code words. If you have Netflix, go check it out. Um, I want to say it's the fourth episode of the four episode arc, but it's it's no, it's the third one. It's it's well worth looking at it and trying to see if you can see the flow, because just by doing that, I will actually say that. At the end of it, they gave a little bit more information of where we are now and all of that. And not for nothing, I actually did start to see the next flow, but I'm not going to mention that here. But the next flow to me um, is because looking at it and like the like I talked about how the professor reads literature, if you take patterns, if you take symbols and you take memory, and you take the next thing that I'm going to be talking about you will start to be able to look for new opportunities. Now, let me just pause right here and say, I don't expect you to be able to do this off the rip. I was forced to learn how to have an eye for opportunity and to project. And I will tell you a little bit of the background. That background came from formalized training, uh, not only in uh, my schools, but in my previous work career. Shout out to the airline agencies uh, that I work for and even the software company before that, that taught me the concept of revenue management, of being able to take what you have and then repurpose it to Make more money out of it, where I started to learn uh, a lot of these things of being able to see things in a different way. And shout out to my airline industry as I became a financial analyst who taught me to truly look at trends, patterns, environmental scanning, and being able to figure out have I seen this pattern before? Where is the next step? Uh, And those types of things. And if you'll notice, when I'm talking about an eye for opportunity, I'm not harping on trends. A lot of people put a lot of their decision making on the trends. And I need to remind you that yes, trends are very helpful, but they are helpful for historical value. If you can see a trend, it means it's already happened. You want to move into the forecasting. And that's what ends up happening um, when you have an eye for opportunity. So, like I said, I, I had the formal training and then. Uh, What is this? Uh, Oh boy, over 15 years ago, I uh, started wanting to make money on my own. And so I went the path of the entrepreneur. And the entrepreneur, if you would be a good entrepreneur, you will have an eye for opportunity. And so starting to understand how to read the public, how to read what they wanted, what they needed, and how to give them something that touched on both of those started to help me with that. And now, once you, so going back into this life skills training of developing this eye for opportunity, now that we can start focusing on the the direction of flow, meaning if you see something happening do what the professor did. Check your database. Have I? Uh, does this remind me of anything? Look for patterns. Have is this recurring? Am I seeing this over and over again? Or even has this happened before? I'm just going to give you guys a quick little insight on the jewel example from the Netflix special, and that is that when I was looking at the flow of the progression of this e I was reminded of something that uh, Edward Bernays did. And looking at what happened on his next step gave me a pretty good clue of how another opportunity could happen for that. That's all I'm going to say about that, because I don't want to get in trouble with anybody. And I want to kind of like give you an option to go figure out. If you can do it too and and you could come up with something because guess what? What I can see for an opportunity might be something different than what you see. And that's the wonderful thing about having an eye for opportunity. And it's part of that element of what's in your database. If you're like, I am not seeing opportunity, that might be an indicator that you need to put more stuff in your database. You need to do more research, more reading, have more exposure. And actually, this is a big one. Don't have a just a local understanding. Never forget to have a local understanding, but you need to understand what is a local view, a national view, wherever you live, and then a global view or even a regional view, okay? So the next thing is, is when we are looking for these eyes, I mean, uh, developing an eye for opportunity, knowing the direction of the flow And I'll say this, that the direction of a flow uh, could mean that anything that is developed goes through phases of contraction and expansion. And you need to figure out if this is a contraction or if this is an expansion. Uh, There is a certain rhythm to things uh, where there is a back and a forth and you need to know if it's a up or a down, a side to side meaning is it more free liberal or is it more standardized or um, st- uh, uh, structured meaning you know conservative. Looking at those types of things of where something is that that's you'll see a lot of times people talk about what phase a uh, industry is in if it's if it's in its infancy and all of those types of things. Um, so that's another way that you can look at it. The other day, uh, when we were talking about how to choose, we taught, uh, uh, um, excuse me, how to, it's been, this is, this is episode number 210, you guys. So bear with me. There's a lot of them back here in this file of mine. Uh, the other day on how to decode the heist, we talked another way of looking at, at flow and direction. And that is understanding that uh, things, when they first come out, if they are fairly new, then they're usually going to be more free, deregulated, um, wild west, great quote-unquote opportunity. And the reason why they say great opportunity, because you don't have to work so hard to do all the stuff I'm teaching you here. You get to think about when Bitcoin came out and the quote-unquote great opportunity because people didn't have to use these skills that we're talking about today. They could just come in with some money and make some money. But now, because it is becoming more regulated, it is becoming more stable, um, the powers that be, the banks and the financial systems are trying to figure out how to get in there. You have to be more savvy to have more opportunity. And so with developing this eye, when you're able to sit there and look for symbols, patterns, archetypes, go through your memory and see, if I've seen this before in some other way? Uh, Channel your inner Robert Langdon to understand that everything is simply, that you see is the icing and that the truth lies below. Understand that you're going to have to look for the coding. You're going to have to look for the layers or even do your own layering, decoding what you see. And then knowing the flow, the direction of the flow, Understanding what phase you're in is this is a uh, is this a contraction? Which you know, if you're thinking of stocks, you're looking at um, a bear market. If it's an expansion, you're looking at a bull market. If this is a is this a back and forth? Is this an up and down? Is this a right or a left? Getting those types of things is going to be very helpful for you, and you're going to know a lot more than you think you know, even if you're not familiar with the industry. And then. Don't forget the power of metaphor. Metaphor is how we learn. We take uh, what is called a periphery, uh, meaning that we move out from the center outward in trying to understand our world. That's why the pebble drop and the ripples on the water is such a great metaphor for a lot of things in life so that we understand that and we understand that flow and how more expansive it becomes as um, it moves away from its source. So that's going to be, yes, another way of looking at it. Let me say a little bit about metaphor and simile in understanding opportunity. So say, for instance, everybody is uh, using something and you want to see, is there an opportunity? one of the things that you can do so say for instance you don't know about any patterns archetypes symbols none of that kind of stuff but you know your your itching itching gut is telling you itching gut that would sound like an illness. Anyway, your gut is tingling, and you know there's an opportunity to be had. You can take the use of metaphor and simile to start wrecking up some stuff. So when we talk about simile, and and please excuse me if you already know what this is, but for those who might not, I'm going to just say simile is when you use words like kind of and like. It's where you are making a connection. So to me uh simile is going to be the easiest because what you're doing is you're using an established known to describe or explain an unstab unestablished or a hidden known uh, or hidden opportunity I should say so if you're trying to figure out something and you're and you're like well I guess it would be like That's going to be assembly. That's going to be like when the professor was talking in, uh, when I was telling you about how the professor talked in his book of how to read literature, that's going to be part of memory. When you go into your memory, go into your database, you look and see if there's anything that reminds you of this. Is there anything like this? So words like like, sort of, kind of, those are going to tip you off that you are making a connection, um, a correlation even, you know, to what, this is that you're trying to uh, establish. But then the metaphor is going to be where it is something else. So if I say uh, th- that um, raindrops are tears, you know, at my tears uh, were the raindrops uh, on the paper. That is where one thing is another. And so these are gonna be some areas that you do all the time that you don't realize and they're probably gonna be your strongest tools in your toolbox when you're trying to develop your eye for opportunity. So you can easily start with metaphor and with simile. Now, of course, I talked about I just talked about periphery a little while ago with the drop in the pond. And periphery is how a lot of scientists and uh, learned people look for opportunities. They look for forecasting. This is how I was trained for forecasting and being able to figure out what's coming up next. We start with something, something that is at ground zero and then we look at how it has rippled out from there. And it's easier to figure out What the next outer ring is going to be than just looking at ground zero and then trying to project all the way out. So going back to our example of the jewel uh, e-cigarette situation, when uh, the show did this, when Netflix did this, they started back at ground zero. So they started with the um, Asian inventor uh, who came up with the e-cigarette. I think he's um, Chinese. Uh, Please forgive me if I got that wrong. Um, But he uh, did it out of a necessity to stop smoking. His father was dying of lung cancer and a lot of people were having this issue. And so he wanted to stop and he started fiddling around with it. So we can take the e-cigarette and we can look at that as a ground zero. But there was a brilliant thing to what Netflix did or whoever put this together for Netflix was that they didn't go to this iteration. They went a step backward and they looked at the popular cigarette. So believe it or not, the cigarette at, at this particular instance is going to be where the pebble drops into the water. The ripples out could be your chewing tobacco, it could be uh, your patches and all these kind of things. And we learned that the e-cigarette was developed to help people get off of this. And I just thought about this, you guys, please forgive me for head hopping, but um when I was talking about the flow of a thing and when we were talking the other day about how to decode a heist, I also talked about how uh, inventions and, and, Technologies move, and usually you will have a technology that moves from a need for the disenfranchised, for the for the uh, poor, or for children, and how it will move into mainstream uh, commercial use or use for the affluent. Okay, so the same thing is happening uh, with with this device. So. Um, It moved from being something that people could use for smoking cessation to now it's being used um, by uh, people of means who uh, want to be able to uh, present as if they're a non-smoker. Uh, because this jewel is so sleek. it Like I said, it looks like a a little uh, external hard drive, uh, something software related. It can be hidden in the hand. There is a way that if you pull on it and you hold it in, when you release it, you don't even see the vapor. So you could be sitting right in the middle of a no smoking restaurant, getting your fix of this thing and nobody would be the wiser. You know, so anyway, there's a lot um of of things that you can see with how the flow of this happens and how looking at this through the ripples, okay, so then so you have the cigarette, then you have the e-cigarette, and then the ripples further out become the jewel. And then trust me, there are going to be more ripples out now because of the bad press. It has gotten recently for some deaths and all of this other stuff. So there's more and more and more that you can see by just following the flow of something and um, looking at it from a fringe standpoint of what's the next natural iteration. Now, will you always get it right? Nope, but you'll never know if you just sit on the sidelines and don't take a chance. And then the last thing that, um, well, not the last thing, a few last things that I want to cover with how to start developing your eye for opportunity is to look and understand micro and macro. I talked a little bit about that before. Micro is going to be the details, the small, the individual. Macro is going to be the larger. It's going to be the um, the group, the environment, uh, the big idea. And so when you're trying to look for an eye for opportunity, start practicing and identifying ways that you can uh, uh, um, approach the opportunity from a macro level and a micro level. The next one is cause and effect. For every effect, uh, for every cause, there is an effect or even thinking of it as action and reaction. For every action, there is a reaction. If you, oh, if if you take in a breath, that's your action. Then the reaction is once the lungs have taken out what they need for the body to use, the reaction is the release of carbon dioxide. For every cause, there is an effect. Too many times, I when I when I was having to learn how to do my job well for a corporation, uh, too many times I was looking at actions and confusing them for something else. Meaning that I would look at an action and I would just say, okay, they're doing this. And then my manager would be like, why? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And he was like, for every action, there's a reaction. And for every cause, there is an effect. And he drilled that into me to why I had to start understanding. People, and I'll just give you for instance, Um I was, uh, at the time, I was doing um, um, sales pricing and forecasting uh, for flights at the time. And I was starting to see an uptick in a place that I wasn't aware of. And why were people buying this? Lo and behold, um, I didn't realize that I just thought, oh, they must be doing some marketing to get people there. That was true. But when I started going and searching for what kind of marketing was going to happen, there was a new um, uh, concert happening. Coachella, anyone? (laughs) Okay. So um, I didn't realize that I had to stop just identifying what's happening in the now and be willing to figure out what had to happen for this to happen now? And you can easily do this. So if you see something happening now, just like the jewel kind of thing, go back and see what had to happen for everybody to be willing to have these little um, software looking sticks that offer uh, the same amount of a pack of cigarettes a day, you know, the cartridges. And you'll start to see that. You'll also start to see when you look at it that there is nothing new under the sun and that there is a flow from what is meant for adults will flow to children because of the taboo effect and on and on and on. So there's a lot to be said for understanding action and reaction, cause and effect, micro and macro, you know, so Like, if we take that same example of Jewel, if you want to look at the macro, because I believe the the Netflix documentary did a really good job on looking at the macro, but on the micro level, uh, they touched on it, but they didn't go deeply into it. And so the micro level, remember, that's going to be the details, the small, the individual. And then there will be opportunities that you can see to affect the individual, and um, I'll just say say it out, outright, there is a gaping opportunity for somebody to work with parents of, of children who are addicted to these jewel cartridges, a gaping one. And that would be on the micro level because it's a small, it's the immediate, it's the individual, and it's, a, I believe, an untapped market. So um, there's that. Um, then the next one, and like I said before, I'm, I'm not trying to give you too much because I, I do need to give you a, a wrap up on this and not have your head spinning. The next one is derivatives. Now, I remember I did a training course called Story Rescue a few years ago on how to teach people to take uh, existing plots and story ideas and then turn them into a derivative where they, became, they become a twist on the established story. And in looking at uh, the derivatives, there are, are trying to develop a derivative. I started to understand that you needed to have this eye for opportunity. You needed to understand what was happening. And one of the, the best ways that I learned to teach people how to develop their own derivatives of something was to start with the known and expand it out into what would be a high concept of something that people realize and and is established with an engaging twist. And just as simple as that, a derivative, taking something that is known and putting an engaging. And when I use the word engaging, it has to be something that they can connect with. It may be in the form of a person or a brand uh Something that they can attach to, that's the engagement. What engages with them and then the twist on it. And so being able to look and understand that the Odyssey, the, wi- the Wizard of Oz and Harry Potter are all the same story. When you look at it that way, you start to get it like, oh, okay, I see that this is a derivative. This is okay, That you know, got it. And understanding those types of things is going to be able to help you to develop an eye, of, eye for opportunity. Woo! So as my time quickly comes to a close, let me do a quick little recap on some of the skills of wisdom that you can use to start to dev- develop a strong eye for opportunity. The first thing is is to start embracing your inner Robert Langdon. Start paying attention to symbols, archetypes, patterns. Uh, make your your database, your internal knowledge of what you can pull from, more re- robust, so that you can start to see things and make use of them. Look for the codes and the layers. Um, I didn't mention this at first, but look for things, including positions, colors. Uh, Do you realize that how someone is oriented in a picture, whether they're standing, sitting, kneeling, or if they're facing a certain direction, all of that's code? Yes. The colors that are chosen, all of that's code. So start being better at understanding code. And remember, Robert Langdon says what you see is just the icing. What lies beneath is where the truth begins. The next thing is start to learn or investigate the direction of flow for something. When I talk about direction of flow, we're talking about where's the energy going towards this? Is it is it opening up a gateway? Is it sending you in a circle? Understand what you're working with. Look for recurrences. Look for the rhythm. Of things, the contraction and expansion, the back and forth, the up and the down, and then make sure that if you have a hard time trying to figure out where the opportunity is, start with something easy. Start with similes, like sort of, kind of, and then look also for metaphors. What is this representing in someone else's life? What is this a nice way of saying something deep or 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 harder to con- um, a harder concept? And don't forget to use the understanding of the macro and the micro, cause and effect, action and reaction, and periphery. Where did the pebble drop into the water? Go back and figure that out and then expand it out to see where the rings of the ripples are going next and how they will look in your environment. And then last but not least, don't forget to check out uh, a way to look at derivatives. How do I take something existing and make it engaging in a high concept where it's enough of the familiar with something that is uh, engaging with a twist on it? And those are gonna be some great ways to get you started on developing your eye for opportunity. Go on and get started. Give me comments, feedback, and let me know how it starts to work for you because I'm gonna tell you. If you have an eye for opportunity, then you will be able to create income out of thin air ask me how I know I'll be talking about that pretty soon in one of our upcoming podcasts so I'm going to talk to you later don't forget to please support the podcast by using our Amazon link at michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ also check our show notes for uh, books listed or mentioned and other ways to support the podcast and we really appreciate you have a wonderful rest of your day and guess what I'm going to see you tomorrow this has been Michelle Spiva your practical priestess of wisdom with another the Wisdom Smack podcast. Bye. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for amazon so when you want to go to amazon and you do all of your general shopping